I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi everyone, welcome to Beauty Bosses. I am so pleased to introduce you guys to Julia Powell, who, as many of you know, is an acclaimed modern artist. She is incredible. She's known for her landscape art and um, her landscape paintings, but she does a little bit of everything. Um, Julia is based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She and I are actually friends, so this is a really special podcast. Julia and I went to Yale together, um, but then she went on to Stanford Law School, became a lawyer, practiced law, and transitioned into her new career of art. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Here are some things that you guys may or may not know about Julia. You've probably all seen her paintings because she's kind of a big deal. But you may not realize that she was not only the most bid-upon artist, but also the um, highest bid artist at the Museum of Fine Arts Boston Summer Gala Show in 2016, and was named the VIP artist at the MFA Boston um, Summer Gala in 2017. So amongst her accolades, Julia also has her art shown in private collections all over the world and on TV shows, in private homes and businesses, kind of the works. So Julia, how do you do it? Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks. Great to see you, sort of. Yeah. So Julia is in Cambridge, so we're doing some modern technology um, to get her here on our podcast. Um, Julia, how's everything going? Good. Have you been? Professionally? (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I wanted to start by, we'll we'll, we'll keep our friend small talk for later for offline, but I wanted to start, this is beauty bosses. And so we wanted to talk to you because you're a boss and you work in the beauty industry in the sense that art is kind of the ultimate and purest form of beauty. So we wanted to start by talking to you about how you got to where you are today. You started out as a lawyer and now you're an artist. How did that happen? Well, I um, was practicing law full time um, roughly four years ago. And my I have two older brothers and they're really big champions of me. And um, one of them gave me an easel and oil paints and another um, purchased a bunch of my paintings. And it just sort of happened over Christmas, and they were pretty insistent that I sort of work on oil painting, which at the time seemed random because I was a full-time attorney, Um, and I was kind of like, this is a strange gift for Christmas. But um, I had been watercoloring. Never look a gift horse in the mouth, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And the the waspy side of me knew I had to appreciate the gift and use it for it would be extremely inappropriate So I um, started using oil paints and um, these canvases, which were very different from watercolors as a medium. And um, watercolors I had just done for fun my whole life. Um, But I'm sure you felt this way too, Lara, but growing up and going to a fancy private high school, you kind of get pigeonholed into the things that you're supposed to do um, as you kind of get on a track to getting into college and my things were athletics and academics 
And so I was really creative and loved doing all of these other things on the side, but I never took an art class. I never um, did those things in high school or in college because I thought I was sort of the student athlete. Um, and then um, someone in my 20s saw some of my watercolors and asked if I could paint um, their wedding invitation. That's um, cool. That's really cool. That's yeah. like the first spark of someone seeing your talent. Exactly. And then my brother had um, had me do his invitations and my other brother, I did the rehearsal dinner stuff. And so I sort of had um, this little side business of, of course, no, I never charged anyone. So it was a non-monetized business. Um, and I think my brother's A business in the softer sense of the word. Exactly. <laughs> a, so- a business light. <laughs> right. And so my brother saw that and gave me this gift of oil paints and really encouraged me and purchased my first work, which was great. Um, and that's sort of how it started was just a lot of family encouragement. That's amazing. So do you still practice law or are you full-time in art? And how do you manage those two worlds? Um, The answer to that question is yes, which is that I'm full-time in art. I work about 75 hours a week as an artist, so it's really, really busy right now. Um, And then additionally, I work about four to five hours a week as an attorney because I still had clients that I didn't totally want to abandon (laughs) so um, I also love my boss and so I like to check in with him and just chill with him but it's a very very small part of my working life okay interesting Um, so what you've done is really pretty amazing because although you've always had an artistic background and artistic talent you are self-trained as an artist so talk to us a little bit about what it means to be self-taught Well, I will say the first year of figuring out oil paints was incredibly frustrating and the largest, if you hear that sound, by the way, that's my dog scratching herself. Um, (laughs) The largest, um, the sort of most important thing about the first year was that I worked all the time. So I was working, I had a full-time job. And then in addition, I was trying to work about 15, 20 hours extra a week learning how to paint. Um, so I really put in a lot of effort, YouTube books, um, just trying to figure out kind of how to tackle the medium, um, and get to be a little bit better as a painter. And all the while my siblings and some close friends were kind of over the top in their praise of me. So I believed that I was better than I was. But because I believed that, I actually put in the time to get to a place where I could be as good as they as they saw me. I feel like that's so important because especially in this modern era of social media and being surrounded by so many different kinds of people, sometimes we forget to surround ourselves with people who really wish us well. Like if you surround yourself with people who think yeah. you're who think you're gonna be successful and who really believe in you, don't you feel like that has a great impact? Absolutely. It's one encouragement I always think of as one of, you know, the three or four things that is really responsible for me getting to where I am. Because if I had no encouragement, I just might have given up in the beginning, particularly since I had a full time, well paying job in a in a you know, it's a good career to be an attorney. It's not like I was unemployed. So I'm not sure I would have completely pursued it at that point before I really knew that I loved it. 
without this circle of encouragement. That's really great. So this is kind of more of a business type of question, but when did you realize that you were going to be able to drastically cut down your legal hours as a lawyer to focus on your art? Like when did it become a reasonable business decision to do that? About, I would say a year and a half ago, I started cutting back significantly. Um, and then it's, I would say it's been more of a tapering, particularly since I need to, you know, not leave my boss in the lurch. I need to make sure that my clients are taken care of. So I couldn't just sort of give two weeks notice and walk away. I was in a private practice with just my boss. It was just the two of us and I was the junior partner. So, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't just leave, but about a year and a half ago, I really started, um, both making more money as an artist, which is um, important. <laughs> I think a lot of artists don't think about that when they graduate from school, but mm-hmm. um, I don't have outside income. Um, I'm not married to someone who has uh, the kind of job that could support me. So earning an income from this was really important. Um, and so I think around then I started spending more time as an artist and making more money as an artist. Okay. That's awesome. So now you know, you're really successful now. Your work is all over the world and so widely admired. But as you were alluding to, it wasn't always the case that this was going to be so easy and so obvious. Um, so I'd like for you to tell us a little bit about some major challenges and roadblocks that you have. Like, did you ever have a time where you thought you weren't going to be able to make it as an artist? Did anyone ever tell you that this was not a good idea? And how did you respond to those big setbacks and build yourself to where you are today? Well, I still, I mean, thank you very much for those kind words. I still feel like... Oh, anytime. (laughs) (laughs) I still feel like there's so much that I want to accomplish Um, a a major goal of mine is to get um, one of my paintings acquired by a museum and be part of a major museum collection, which is sort of the next stage that many artists, um, so many artists I know and admire, um, they're at that stage and I'm not there yet. So um, I I think my my biggest setbacks were um, because I was self-taught, I didn't have the infrastructure of art school and art advisors people who had seen my work who could kind of help me navigate the world. And in the beginning, it just felt like, oh, I'm starting in my early to mid thirties. How am I possibly, how am I going to catch up? How am I going to catch up when I've switched careers? And so just a lot of doubt about always being behind for my age and for having not um, gone to art school honestly, the challenges are mostly in my head. I've been incredibly fortunate and I haven't had too many roadblocks, um, professionally yet. Um, but the times were just where I doubted myself and I just thought this is crazy. I went to Stanford law school. I have a great job. What am I, what am I thinking? Um, I think that those were challenges of just sorting out in my own brain. I think that's kind of a powerful message because we all can be our own worst enemy. I mean, it's a cliche because it's true. Um, often so. successful people are, in fact, their own worst critics because they, you know, they're yeah. never satisfied. So they're just pushing to the next thing. Totally. Um, so even though the art world can appear very glamorous, um, <laughs> I would like you to walk us through some of the practical business side of art. 
Well, first of all, actually creating art is amongst the least glamorous thing I've ever known. I'm in <laughs> sweatpants. Um, I, I look completely homeless. I'm covered in paint. Um, I like your art look. It's so, like, <laughs> chic. I feel like you do a good artist chic. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. Um, you haven't seen me quite yet, though, in the studio. You might be horrified. Um, so the actual, like, your ta- like the tactile quality of dealing with paint and cleaning up paint and dealing with canvases. I mean, you're, you're working with your hands, and it's messy, and it certainly never seems glamorous to me. Um, in terms of the business side... I think the biggest, one of the biggest pieces of advice I try to give young artists trying to figure out how to make it financially work is pay attention to the business. I would love to paint nine hours a day and just do that. But in reality, I have time to paint four to five hours a day. And the rest of my day is dealing with clients, um, trying to figure out applications to shows or fellowships. Um, it used to be shipping paintings, framing paintings for clients, dealing with um, client inquiries. Now I've um, been able to hire an assistant to help me with those things. But if you do not focus on how to get some revenue from your art, you won't be able to do it. And I just, I just can't emphasize that enough for young artists who come out of art school with no training in that side. Um, and I'm definitely grateful for law because I think that my brain is pretty analytical the lawyer side of me was very helpful in setting up the business. Like I could easily set up an LLC and not worry about it. Yeah, no, that's cool because that's not so obvious to us non-lawyers. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So the art world is, you know, like medicine, very dominated by men. And when I, I, know, I that's why I love you that you're killing it. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, um, see, that's why you guys have to keep in touch with your college friends because there's nothing like them, right? Um, so you know, I love art, but when I walk through a museum, I see ma- artist after artist who's a man. And yes, you know, I think that there are talented artists of both genders, um, obviously. But I wanted you to comment a little bit on what it's like to be a woman in a male-dominated industry, especially a rising, successful woman. Um, it's, it's empowering and also scary because the higher you get, the more the fact that you're a woman might really impact what galleries decide to represent you and how much your paintings might sell for. Um, and that really stinks. Um, although I think it's changing. I, um, I wrote about this a little bit, but I um, have been advised by several men, not in an unkind way, to, um, to change my name of my website to J.S. Powell as initials and remove any photographic evidence. Yeah, like the J.K. the J.K. Rowling effect, right? Exactly. Or exactly. the L. Devgan effect. Once, yeah. once you are J.S. Powell, then people, once your price points reach a certain point, then people don't care. And you can remain um, a woman. You can, you know, be a woman. No one minds now that J.K. Rowling's a woman. Um, and I really thought about that. I honestly really thought about it. But ultimately, I decided to go with how I have always signed my name, which is Julia S. Powell. Um, so, you know, there are men who, recognize that and actually try to give you advice like hey your stuff is great if you want to really sell it 
try to, you know, confuse people <laughs> by yeah. having them think you're a man. Right? And um, what's up with that? I mean, I get it. It's very interesting. I like your stance on it, though. I think it's a little bit of a harder road, but um, but I totally applaud and support that. I think it's cool. I also get so much, um, like, really cute fan mail from young, I'm sure you do too, Laura, but, like, young girls who... Yeah, um, I love that. And it's just, you know, I... I only liked Van Gogh and Monet and I thought maybe you had to be a man to be a painter and then my mom showed me your Instagram account and you know I started getting into art and these are like seven or eight year old girls who think of being a female painter as like a viable path now. That's Um, amazing that's so important and valuable and actually that brings me to the topic of Instagram and social media. Um, I know that those have been really instrumental for you because you have an extremely loyal and broad and deep following um, on Instagram in particular but I wanted to ask you a little bit about how you really exploded like was it marketing was it social media was it friends was it all of the above and tell us a little bit about that. So I think there's a couple things. One is what I think many people don't understand, and and you probably had this experience when you started your Instagram account. I spent two and a half hours every single day on Instagram. I commented, I liked, I engaged with many, many posts. It. I'm not sure if it would have naturally, organically happened if I hadn't made a commitment to hard work and just getting into the like deep source of Instagram and trying to kind of commit time there. Um, and then once you start to get 5,000, 10,000 followers, I think it can organically build, but to get there, I just spent a lot of time. Like that's, that's what it was. I think also you have to figure out what posts are working and some people are like, Oh, that's terrible. And then you're like not a true artist cause you can't, you know, post what you really want to post everything I post I want to post everything I post I love but I might omit certain things that um, are more experimental for me um, because maybe they won't do as posts but do as well as posts but they'll get the the more Instagram followers I have the more people will come to my studio will come to my website and once they're there they get to see everything that I'm doing right um And so I think being strategic about your posts is really important. And then the last thing is make your art account your art account. Don't post pictures of your boyfriend. Don't post pictures of your kids. You know, make it all about the art. I I have a dog and she's very cute. And so she is featured a lot on my Instagram account. Well, she's also an art art. aficionado. She's not a regular dog. She is a famous art critic. We'll get to that in a second. That was going to be my next question, but go ahead. But, but I, I just think like know your audience and if your audience is following your art account, they don't want to see you with your friends out on Saturday night. So be really. I want to see you with your friends on Saturday night. Oh, well, you, you can follow my private account. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Julia and I, I think, I think we started our accounts around the same time and I think we were one of each other's first followers. We were, we yeah. were, we were, you know, we had like 10 followers. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I feel like that's funny. That's like a little fun fact. <laughs> it's been amazing to see you grow. Okay. So we talked a little bit about Ella Fitzgerald and some of you may think of Ella Fitzgerald in one way, but I know, Julia, you think of Ella Fitzgerald in a completely different way. Who is Ella Fitzgerald to you? <laughs> well, 
Um, she is my golden retriever. And she's also a famous African-American female singer. It's both. It's both. 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 Okay. Yeah. And we play a lot of Ella Fitzgerald's music in this house because my father, um, his vision of God is a portly black woman who has a great voice. Um, so he basically thinks Ella Fitzgerald is God. Okay. Well, who could argue with him? Um, so your dog, also named Ella Fitzgerald, um, has been featured in newspapers and TV shows and all kinds of places because she is a, a real, you know, legitimate art critic. Tell, tell us more. Right. Well, legitimate is a stretch, but I will... I will. Um, I'll I'll let her know that that you you think that. I just Um, feel like she needs to be surrounded by friends who encourage her and believe believe in her vision. Trust me, she is is surrounded by friends. We actually got approached on the street, hilariously, and um, I thought it was like my first fan encounter that someone recognized me, maybe from Instagram or an article, and I was so excited. And um, they approached us because they recognized Ella, and... It was like this guy, he was wearing a wool hat. It was, you know, 60 degrees outside. It was like, you should not be wearing a wool hat. But anyway, he was like, I wish he could give autographs. And I said, I, I can give autographs. And uh, he had zero interest in, in my autograph. And away. So she, she has had fans approach her. Um, but yeah, she, she started looking at my paintings um, back back in April, so about a year ago, um, after I'd been away for two or three weeks, and it was the longest we'd been separated from one another, I went to Japan with some friends, and um, I don't know, since then, she pauses in front of these paintings for 15 seconds to, the longest was maybe two minutes, where she really kind of gazed at it, and then she just goes about her business. That's so funny. It's cute. If you guys haven't seen this, you have to look at Julia's Instagram page where this adorable dog is gazing dreamily at these exquisite paintings and it's it's just like slightly otherworldly. It's very funny. Some might argue she's just about to fall asleep, but I love the different interpretations of her zoning out. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I know that a portion of your profits go to philanthropic organizations, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Yeah, I, um, I just decided, you know, if I was going to be involved in an industry where you've got, I mean, with the art industry, the more powerful you become, you start basically, a lot of your clients end up being extremely wealthy people. And so you're in sort of a weird space where you're trying to create beauty and art for the world. But the only people who can afford your paintings are like millionaires and billionaires and I just wanted to always be cognizant of that. And as an artist, you want to sell your work for more and more. But at the same time, I don't know, I, I never wanted to lock out people or um, forget causes or things that really matter to me in that process. Um, and the environment and women's causes are incredibly dear to my heart. And so that's where the majority of the profits go, um, just trying to... Um, Make sure that the environment is protected as much as it can be and um, trying to put in all sorts of initiatives, particularly for young girls' education throughout the world. Um, so those are just some of some things that are important to me. 
Awesome. And I know some of your art has been featured on the Mindy Project. Um, do, yes. pe- do, do people ever, that's such a fun show. I love it. Um, do people ever recognize your art from the show? I, I'm not sure. I, I recognize that. it from the show. Do you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. People I besides me. <laughs> Mindy, Mindy has been very helpful because um, we're also friends. And so she's posted some things on Instagram, which are great. And I've definitely had a lot of buyers tell me that they found my account because Mindy mentioned something and they started following me. Um, so she's been super helpful there. And also just as a friend, very encouraging. She um, has purchased a lot of my work and is very kind about it. Um, but on the show, um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, hopefully, hopefully. Okay, cool. Well, now everyone's going to look out for it. Yeah. Um, on the topic of art and what it's worth and making a business out of art, I was wondering if you have any thoughts about how to assign a value to a work of art. Because in a way, it's priceless. You know, in a, right. in a way, it's taken you 30-something years to get to the point where you're making that piece of art. Um, right. And, you know... In another way, you could buy a canvas at the corner store for, you know, a handful of dollars. And so there's sort of, there's a, almost a little philosophical question at play here. Like how how do you, what is art worth and how do you assign a monetary value to it? Um, yeah, it's a great, great question. It's something I grapple with all the time. My prices have been increasing a lot and, um, you know, why, why, why is that happening? Um, well, the simple answer is that the market can bear it. I in- increase my prices. People continue to buy my work. I increase them. And I, but in terms of the actual intrinsic value, I'm not sure. I'm aggressive about making sure I'm pricing my work at what I think is their value. Um, if you look at female and male artists, women generally underprice their work. Um, which is a totally fascinating and separate topic because on that note, women also ask for lower starting salaries than men. And, you know, there's sort of like a global devaluing of what is produced by female hands, which is very fascinating. And in addition, just like women in salaried positions, not asking for raises as frequently, Mm -hmm. women tend to not increase their prices as quickly as men do. And so I am aware of all that, um, and I try, so I'm I'm fairly aggressive, um, in making sure that I'm on top of, you know, the market and really pricing my work at what I think, um, is a reasonable price. Um, but you know, it's a great question about intrinsic value. Some of the most beautiful art that I know, it's not that pricey, right? So... Yeah, interesting. More of a philosophical topic. We'll pick yeah. that up later. That's on that's on uh, round two of this podcast. Right. Philosophical bosses. That's that uh, yeah, it doesn't roll off the tongue as no. easily, but uh, but I'm right. pretty sure iTunes would index that if I pitched it. Right. Um, so now it's time for some quick fire questions. You made it through the hard part. Um, <laughs> do you have other artistic endeavors besides painting? That's the hard question. That's the, that's the difficult one. Wow. I love this interview. Um, 
No, I do not have other artistic... Um, oh, no, false, false, false. I write. Um, I wrote a novel before all, all of this happened, before I started painting. Um, I wrote a novel for kids, and I'm not going to tell you the plot because it's brilliant, and I'm going to publish it someday, and I don't want someone to steal my idea. But um, Smart. writing, Smart. creative writing is another creative outlet, and probably my biggest other outlet is sports. Okay, who's your favorite artist? Probably Robert Frost or Mary Oliver. Or did you mean visual? Um, I meant visual, but I like how you interpret this, interpreted it broadly. <laughs> um, who do you like visually? I mean, I sort of hate these answers because they're so generic, but they're true. So I'll just say them. Uh, Monet, Van Gogh, and Wolf Kahn um, is probably less well-known. I also am frustrated that they're all men. Um, recently, more recent artists, I like Hopper and Hockney, but again, all men. The hope is that in 20 years, I'll be telling you all the female artists who influence me. Okay. Um, awesome. The one female artist I'll say who, um, is fabulous and is just incredible with color is Bridget Riley. Um, she's a British artist, um, who was born in the thirties and, um, she's still doing amazing work. So she's the one female artist that I really look to. Okay. Wonderful. What's your favorite museum? Um, probably. Oof. Um, it's maybe a tie. I love the Rodin museum. That's so beautiful. Um, in Paris. Yeah. I, um, so I, it's maybe a tie between the Rodin museum I I have to say I love the MFA because I know it so well, the Museum of Fine Arts Boston. I mean, I really know that place and grew up going there and going kind of into the little nooks and crannies. So sometimes a a local museum that you know and that you're used to, you know, takes takes, um, equal space with um, other internationally renowned museums. Okay, so this is more of a stylistic question, but do you like Impressionism or Modernism? I literally am split down the middle. Okay. What do you like painting better, flowers or boats? Boats. What do you like painting with better, oil or watercolor? Oil. Um, Are you someone who prefers coffee or tea? Coffee, please. Would you rather stay up late or wake up early? I go to bed around 12 or 1 a.m. and I wake up around 6 or 7. So I would say both. I just oh. don't like to sleep a lot. Okay. Me either. I, it's, <laughs> it's not that I don't like it. I like it. But you have a lot. We have a lot to get done, right? That's right. That's, that's true. That's a very good. It's one of my favorite things to do on vacation is sleep. Um, I just, I just, uh, I find it difficult to get more than five and a half, six hours of sleep. Um, and also get done everything I want to get done. Okay, so now tell us what's in store for you in the future. What are some kind of, what's what's <laughs> next? What's next for Julia S. Powell? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, my, let's see, I just had a great international sale that was exciting because um, I, it was a huge painting that I had to ship to Hong Kong, which is pretty complicated because you have to use weather-treated wood and all this stuff. Um so I think, um, and I'm in 
contact with some potential buyers in Mumbai and China. And so I think one of the next journeys um, is really more international shipping and trying to figure out kind of an international presence. Um, That's part of it. Um, And I have to say a side project is always trying to get better. I'm never, ever stopping teaching myself new techniques looking at other people's work who I admire. Um, I think it's so important to never stop actually training yourself and honing your craft. Um, because if you don't, I think you'll lose out. Um, so I would say really working hard to continue to get better and trying to develop more of an international presence. Those are two kind of big moves that, um, and steps that I want to be a part of my 2018. Okay, amazing. And, you know, as a little thank you for appearing on my podcast, I wanted to gift you a product for my skincare line, Scientific Beauty. Yes, so yay. So, on your podcast every week. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) just for the steady supply of skincare. (laughs) That's right. Okay, that's one strategy for those of you out there. Um, So, is there any particular product that you had in mind? I heard that you liked vitamin C, but this is kind of your chance. I really want to try your vitamin C serum. That has been, that's a goal of mine. So, the vitamin C serum I'm digging. Okay. Um, Consider it done. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. I mean, if you just want to throw in whatever you think my skin would need, I would be eternally grateful. Okay. We'll we'll do that. We'll definitely do that. And then finally, you know, this is beauty bosses and you are a boss and you do beautiful artwork and work in beauty. So I wanted to close by asking you, what does beauty mean to you? Um, No pressure. I, I have to say, I think of beauty and when I describe things as beautiful, it's, um, interestingly as a visual artist, it's often not about, um, an external aesthetic. It's often about a mood or a feeling I get. Um, so I would say my definition of beauty, my definition of beauty is more like a Mary Oliver poem than, you know, like a gorgeous Gucci sweater. Um, it's just something that is sort of intrinsically delightful and filled with wonder. And, um, I think that is what I think of as, as things that are beautiful, um, more so than, um, an outward sheen, you know? Yeah. And I think that's really nice. That's, I love that. Um, and finally, what does being a boss mean to you? Being a boss to me is freedom. I think that's one of the biggest things. I No one is telling me what to do, when to wake up, um, what my schedule is. I create all of it my own. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, you have to be really, you have to, you have to be a leader and you have to be, I would say, very internally motivated because you're the one who is forging your own path. So I think that's sort of how I, I, I think of being a boss. Yeah, I like that. That's really nice. And that's kind of, I've thought that too. You know, you like the freedom, but there's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, exactly. It's like being an adult versus a child. 
It's a, being a boss is the ultimate form of adulting. <laughs> right. Is that right? Okay. Okay. Um, so Julia, thank you so much for being a guest on Beauty Bosses. This was so fun and awesome to talk to you. I'd love to give you a hug in person. I know. We'll do that soon. Soon. You, you obviously have to call me right after this podcast so we can, you know, gossip about other things. Yeah. Okay. We, we'll, we'll hit the stop button on record before we <laughs> right. do that. Um, okay. Well, um, thank you again, and thank you guys for listening. Thank you.